Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You know how annoyed I get anytime there's a big offside controversy in the NHL and it is always the day before we record? And I know, Evan, you and I have to get here sit down at this table, Brad walks into the studio, and he's going to go off about it. Like, guaranteed, and it always happens within 24 hours of us recording. Every time without fail. At what point are you going to realize that once you accept that I'm right, I'll stop doing it? I've already done it, though. I've already, <laughs> I think we're like a year removed from me admitting that you're right about the way the current offside rules are set up. I gave in. You wore me down. The war. <laughs> I have never met someone who is better in a war of attrition than you, which is rich because if you ask me and Evan independently, like one of those, uh, how well do you know your, your husband or wife shows to write on a whiteboard? What is Brad's most commonly uttered phrase when he walks into Ryan's house? It's I'm so tired. Yep. That's you to a T. Yep. And yet you have more energy and more willpower in a battle like this in the offside review debate than it's actually admirable. You can't kill what is already dead. <laughs> it's, they they should write books about this stuff. Anyways, we'll get to that. But for the mercy of our listeners and myself and Evan, we're pushing that to the end of the show. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, first and foremost, the world of the NHL and more. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be talking to you about the fact that Detroit swept California. They went three for three on their road trip to start off 2024 undefeated. So we'll be looking into that. Uh, Storylines from that game, Alex Lyon or Lyon King. Uh, more on Larkin, positive and negative as he's taken yet another, you know, dirty hit. A cross check this time from Mason McTavish and more from that game. And we'll also take a look at Detroit's upcoming games, starting with the streaking Edmonton Oilers. And then lots of uh, small storylines from the Red Wings. Nate Danielson, right before we hit record here, was traded in the WHL. So it doesn't really impact the Red Wings per se, but it does impact Nate Danielson the rest of the season and how we might be able to evaluate him. So more on that. Detroit's potential interest in a player from Russia as well as uh, some injury updates. And then the big topic in the NHL right now, for good reason, Cutter Gauthier traded away from Philly, not because Philly wanted to do it, but because he told him he wasn't going to play there, which is dramatic. No soap operas, huh? I'll never forget that ad. And then we'll get into some more NHL news before overtime. Before all that, I want to let you know that Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings is on Saturday, March 2nd. That's the game against the Florida Panthers. What WWP Night at the LCA is, is again, a partnered event with the Detroit Red Wings where we, the Winged Wheel Podcast, host a live recording of the show at Little Caesars Arena before the game. That live recording of the show is going to feature Ken Daniels and other special guests it's also going to include, so your tickets will get you into that live recording, will obviously get you into the game at a discounted rate, believe it or not. A portion of the proceeds is going to benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which is why we do all of this. As well, your ticket is going to get you a special co-branded Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel Podcast limited edition hat. You can pick from the one from a previous Winged Wheel Podcast night or a new iteration, which we will show you the moment it's produced. So you'll have your option of either one of those. We'll also have plenty of other merch and giveaways there for you. There will be food and drinks available. And when you get into the arena, you are going to sit in Winged Wheel podcast specific sections, one of which includes the gondola, which is the upper 
kind of bird's eye view where Ken and Mick call the games from, which is a really cool place to sit. There's also upper bowl and lower bowl seats as well. So go to the link in the description to get your tickets today. They do go fast. Only the first 400 tickets sold will get the special edition Detroit Red Wings Winged Wheel Podcast hat. Again, that's Saturday, March 2nd, Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Link in the description to get your tickets. Get them today. The Red Wings won against San Jose. They won against LA. We recorded a show immediately before the Anaheim game. And when we wrapped up, we thought we probably jinxed things because that was a pretty positive episode. We talked about Alex Lyon. He was playing in that game against Anaheim. What's going to happen? Lo and behold, after Detroit did their usual thing where they gave up a goal immediately, 20 seconds into Trevor Zegras, of course, they won the game. And I think the Red Wings are getting a little bit, like they look like they're working out of their funk bit by bit. And there's a lot to draw out of the game, but thoughts on the Red Wings going three for three here? It's a resilient road trip because I would say they weren't at their best any of those three games. I don't think they dominated Anaheim or San Jose, two teams that if you have playoff aspirations, you should probably beat soundly. And obviously the San Jose game was a late comeback with a fluky goal. The Ducks was, obviously Rasmussen got the winning goal late. LA didn't have their best night, but you know LA's a team that has championship aspirations, so it's always a good sign when you beat them. It was a scrappy, you know, just do whatever the hell you have to, do just enough to get the wins and get the hell out of there. So it wasn't pretty, but they got the job done, which is more than we can say at any point in the month of December. Yeah, what have we been preaching, right? Like, you just have to get the points right now. Like, after how rough December was, you have to just kind of find some confidence. You have to find your stride. The Red Wings themselves would have told you that a lot of their struggles came from overthinking things, making preventable mistakes, not playing their systems. So you get the confidence of two points. It doesn't really matter. You can wash away everything else that happened in that game. And they, they did that against San Jose. And like you mentioned, Brad, that was ugly. That was a game where, you know, I don't want to say there's a bitter taste in your mouth, but you, you finish. You're glad like, it's over. Yeah. You, you turn off the TV and you're like, I can't believe there's a win out of that. And then again, yeah, a poor LA team that night, but they still got the win. And then the Ducks, you need to find that rhythm. And those are soft teams. Like let, let's state that plainly. San Jose is a soft team. Anaheim's a soft team. LA's not. You're right. They have championship aspirations, but they've been playing poorly. But that was on the road. It was a West Coast road trip. And so it's, Credit to the Red Wings for, you know, just getting the points and just winning. They have a tough schedule coming up. Evan and I talked to you about it a couple episodes ago, and it starts with, you know, this next game here, Edmonton on Thursday night. There's a gamut of of games coming up here where they're going to need that confidence coming in, and they can't play like they did against San Jose. So if you can't win pretty or you can't win at all, you're going to take any kind of points that you can get. And Again, credit to Derek Lalonde and the Red Wings, six for six, and, and that's got to mean something to them in the room. Yeah, I think their next five games are all against teams who would consider, they would be thinking Stanley Cup. First, they got Edmonton tomorrow night, who've been rocketing up the standings. LA's obviously having their struggles. And then they've got Toronto, who just re-signed Willie Nylander. And then they move into Florida, who's also won, I think, eight in a row or seven in a row. And then they've got Carolina. So those are all teams who think that they're playoff bound and have a good chance of winning the Cup. So 
Next five games are huge for the Red Wings. Well, it's nice because the week after that, it drops off. Uh, they've got Philly once, but then they've got Tampa, Dallas, and Vegas. So, <laughs> cake. Easy week. Tampa's the softest team out of all of those. Standings-wise, yes, actually they are. And, they ha- and they're one point behind Tampa Bay right now for the wild card. So, you can't be losing pace at this point. No. So... Again, there's a lot to unpack from those three games that's very firmly filed under, needs to be worked on, but six points is six points. And even the the shootout point that they dropped to LA, that was a three-point game. LA got the point out of it. Who cares? You're giving that away to the West. That's way different than, for example, giving that away to Tampa. So let's talk about the game. Uh, Detroit did their usual. Trevor Zegers scored 20 seconds in. That's got to stop. And <laughs> I, I, I'm like, how many times? Since from November, was it mid-November onwards, this old habit kind of cropped back up, and within the first five minutes of a game, they give up a goal. They're the comeback kids, man. It's got to be so deflating, constantly scoring your first goal, and that's just to tie the game. You, you let your opponent make connect with one haymaker. They think it's going to be a smooth night. They let their guard down, and here come the Red Wings. Yeah, who is that? Was it? I can't remember if it was an MMA fighter or a boxer. It was just like, it's not a fight till I get punched in the face. The Red Wings <laughs> are just embracing that a little too literally. Yeah, they, they took that one to heart. Dylan Larkin scored on the power play to tie it up. It was uh, from Perron and Gossespierre. And then the second period, Joe Valeno scored on a wraparound, which credit to uh, you know the review for picking that up right away that that might have gone in. There wasn't a lot of reaction on that front, and all of a sudden they were reviewing the goal, and you took a look at it, and uh, Chris Osgood was right as he was talking about it on the broadcast. Like, that puck disappears. You see there's only one place where it could have gone, and you saw a red line, and you saw a little bit of white space, and the puck disappeared, and that puck was in. So they got that one right, and Detroit was up 2-1. In the third period, Trevor Zegers scored again, and then Detroit scored in a somewhat dramatic fashion. At the end of pretty much 90 seconds left in the game, or uh, less than that left in the game, Michael Rasmussen redirected a puck in with his foot, and I say that legally. He redirected a puck in with his foot as a great feed by Sider across the ice. It was from uh, Raymond Did you say feet or feed? Whichever one's funnier. Okay. Either would work here. Yeah. So Rasmussen, they were reviewing to see whether he kicked the puck. And the rule simplified is this. You can't have a distinct kicking motion. And if you ask me what a distinct kicking motion is, I'll tell you it's whatever is most convenient to my argument on any given yep, goal. Yep. But you can't have a distinct kicking motion to, to propel a puck into the net, but you can redirect the puck into the net with your skate. So you can angle your skate in such a way that the puck deflects off of it favorably and goes into the net. Some people were saying, oh, it doesn't matter because it hit his stick or an Anaheim stick after. That That's not correct if the origin of the the puck's motion was being propelled by a kick, even if it deflected like a pinball off 10 people, it doesn't matter. It can't be kicked into the net. The referees, I think correctly, in my biased opinion, determined that Rasmussen's foot redirection, even though his foot did move forward, was more of a redirection and momentum of his forward motion rather than a distinct kicking motion. If they called that the other way, I would have grumbled about it, but probably in my head accepted it as well. That was a pretty, I'd call that a 65-35 call. The word that stands out to me, and this is why I hate the way the rule book's written, is distinct. Yeah. To everybody, that's going to mean something different. And like you said, most you usually to whatever side of the argument they're on, you can't argue that 
a kicking motion there would have been considered distinct. And that's pretty much my entire opinion on it. Was his foot moving forward? Yeah. Did he turn it for an obvious redirection? Yeah. Was it a kicking motion? No, it was not. The rule book is very obviously phrased in certain spaces like that uh, to be intentionally vague. And that's because I think it's impossible to regulate parts of the sport in such a way that it's black and white. So you keep the rule book vague and then all of a sudden you can make subjective decisions like that, which is uncomfortable. I think the Anaheim Ducks official account tweeted out, you know, Detroit's game tying goal, which they wouldn't usually post. And they just posted a video of it. I'm like, I don't think that's the, the only, I, I mean, if the Red Wings, if the, the script was flipped and the Red Wings account did it, we probably would have been like, ah, that was a distinct kicking motion. But I don't know. To me, in the interest of, if it's not distinct enough for you to overturn the call on the ice, then. If you're not biased towards your team, you're not a real sports fan. <laughs> that's right. So that was the the winning goal. Some other takeaways. Alex Lyon, another win for him, 28 of 30 stops. Again, almost completely perfect from him in terms of what you'd expect or relative to what the Red Wings had for the previous couple of months. Like that was, he's been rock solid and the team is playing more confidently in front of him. If only they had started him sooner. <laughs> That's the only, the, the only reason I'm not upset about that is because they were still banking points before. That's fair. How many more points could they have banked? They have not had good goaltending at any point this year for with any consistency outside of Alex Lyon. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And he's the cheapest of them all. The Red Wings penalty killing has been outstanding. I think at one point in the broadcast, Ken mentioned that they were 20 for 20. I don't know if they had another one that game, but a perfect 20 of their last 20 penalty kills. So credit to the Red Wings penalty kill. Things could have been a lot worse recently. Well, it's mostly credit to their best penalty killer, Alex, Alex Lyon. <laughs> so their penalty kill is 81.6%. That puts them at 11th in the league. I'll take I'll take 11th. Considering the defense and the goaltending over the past over this season? Yes, I would say 11th is pretty darn good. Yeah, even just the way December has gone if if they're at 11th, that's fine by me because it would have been it could have been much worse. Some Points about the game that were a little nasty. Dylan Larkin left the game briefly, but returned in a later period. He was, again, stop me if you've heard this before, in front of the net, in front of another Ducks player, got sandwiched when Mason McTavish came from behind and gave him what looked innocuous, but on replay was kind of a nasty cross check to the unprotected section of Dylan Larkin's back. Dropped Larkin. He was sprawled, you know, skated off the ice in a lot of pain. McTavish got two minutes. So, I mean, all square now, of course, two minutes is just fine. I saw that and I was like, yo, they need to pummel this kid. I can't believe I've become this person. Aha. Aha. <laughs> Evan's influence on me, but I'm like, what's happening? This league has made this okay. Two minutes is not enough for that cross check. Call me biased if you want, whatever. Oh, it happens 20 times a game. No, I'm sorry. That one was rough. Like, that was not a good cross check. That wasn't, you know, paw into the face of Zub, but that wasn't a, a nothing cross check that you give to a forward in your crease 10 times a game. And the Red Wings didn't really respond after. I get it. They just watched Perron get suspended for six games, so they're a little worried. But the response to me just wasn't there. And I was like, wow, they really miss Clean Costin, who's out on IR. Dylan Larkin, I think think is getting to the point he might have to do what he did to Matthew Joseph I, and just accept the suspension. Just the next guy that cheap shots him, just 
straight up, immediately turn around, sucker punch. And I don't say that lightly. Just if teams know they can F with you and none of your teammates are going to stand up, well, put the fear that they're going to get their nose broken if they do. In what there. if it's Connor McDavid tomorrow? Uh, My God. Can Drill we him. do it in the first 30 seconds of the game, please? <laughs> McDavid cross checks Larkin. Larkin sucker punches McDavid. Larkin forced to go to All Star game. That, that's that the is true the punishment. ultimate penalty right there. No, but in all seriousness, Brad, like Department of Player Safety feels like they have done what they have to do. Everyone in the world to the point where the most, you know, middle of the road talking heads in hockey, like the people with the biggest platforms who always navigate these things carefully are saying this shit's getting out of hand across the league, not just Larkin, but he's one of the faces of it right now. Poor guy. The players aren't being protected. Dylan Larkin was quoted after the last time he got dummied by someone saying, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do to go uh, protect myself out there or something to that effect. And it happens again. Like there needs to be a response. I didn't like the Red Wings response, but also like, I don't like the league's response. The referee, I guess to his credit did give him a penalty, which is like the minimum sufficient standard in this case just sucks. It, it, It just pisses you off. And the thing is, if you listen to this, conversation as a neutral fan who hasn't heard the podcast and hasn't been following the Red Wings, you're going to say this is like deranged and, you know, biased and all homerism. And they're not really incorrect. But at the same time, this is a culmination of just watching this for legitimately years on Larkin. And this season seems to have have taken up to 11. And there's a a department of player safety that's established as standard wherein these players are going to get hurt. And what's funny is I can maybe see something that's changed it. And it's off a clean hit on Connor Bedard. That might be what changes things. Gary Bettman says to, to the Department of Player Safety head George Peros and, uh, and says, you have to crack down on this because we just lost Connor Bedard. Well, and things that, only change when it happens to the star players. That's right, yeah. He, like Dylan Larkin's not star enough, but he's uh, Connor Bedard would be. Yeah. They're not going to do anything. Don't get your hopes up. Everybody just settle down. We know how this ends. We know how this ends. Larkin suspended for a game. He's going to cross-check someone back, and that'll be the suspension. 100%. 100%. You know it's going to happen. At the end of the period, Radko Gouda slew-footed Lucas Raymond, and he got a, an interference minor on the play. And again... Who are, who's going to fight Radko Gudas? Someone has to, because remember when Gudas knocked Costin out and then stood over him and yelled at him while he was on the ice injured? And Do still we know what he said? No, but it wasn't nice if you look at the expression on his face. Uh, he wasn't going, hey, Clem, are you all right? That's actually what I thought it was. And I think uh, he, Clem was a little pretty pissed when he was leaving the ice. He too, was. Yeah, so. he was yelling at Gudis. Here's the thing. If you fight everybody that does dirty stuff to your team, you're going to lose a few of those fights, but you still do it. <laughs> we got it. I would just love to stop coming on this podcast and saying the Red Wings need to fight more because it's such a stupid stance. But, but it's a- like genuinely like they're star players who they don't have a lot of them like Dylan Larkin got drilled by Mason McTavish I'm a big Mason McTavish guy I liked him when he was a prospect I I love following his junior career I think he's a talented player I think he's underappreciated across the league as one of the best up-and-coming players that's a kid in this league that is a kid in this league there's no if you look at him I think he had a beard when he was eight yeah but there's no reason why he should have been able to get away with doing that to Dylan Larkin no and 
as time goes on, the more and more stuff that happens to the Red Wings, the league notices that the Red Wings don't do anything about it. That's the point of what we're saying here. Every team walks against Detroit and knows there is no repercussions for our ass hattery. They can do whatever they want and they're going to get away with it. The Red Wings don't step up. The league won't do anything about it. Now, I'm not saying go out and sign Ryan Reeves. Like, Please don't is, do that. <laughs> please, for the love of God, don't do anything like that. But a majority of the Detroit Red Wings are what? North of six feet tall, 200 pounds. There's enough guys here who can step up when this stuff happens. And someone has to eventually. Like, I'm, I'm not even necessarily mad at the Red Wings. I'm just, uh, I'm angry in general. No, I'm know? mad at, I'm mad at the Red Wings. I'll take that stance. Your captain is getting beat up constantly and nobody cares. That's not okay. That stuff doesn't happen in beer league. I'm not fighting anybody in beer league. <laughs> Especially not my captain. Who's your captain? Uh, his name's Jeff. <laughs> you hear that? Fuck you, Jeff. <laughs> he, he would understand. Yeah. yeah. But the point still stands. Beer leagues where they actually like each other. But I don't know. I'm I'm sick of it. I'm absolutely sick of it. You the just, league knows it. As a Red Wings fan, you want to stop coming into a game wondering if, you know, Dylan Larkin's battered body is going to take another big hit in a dirty way. I don't. I don't want to focus on oh the Red Wings need to be more physical or or this dirty hit and this department of player safety and oh the league's out to get to Detroit. But it's it's gotten to a stupid. It's a joke this year. It genuinely is a joke. The year of the rat. It it genuinely like. And we're not even talking about Brad Marchand this time. I know. He's been good for the most part. Yeah, well, you just, somewhere someone just rang a bell and he's going to do something yeah, next game. Yeah, monkey paw. Anyhow, thank goodness for Alex Lyon, honestly. He has just been outstanding, just solid. Like, he's just been solid through and through in, in a way that's such a relief to Detroit. So, yeah, Radko Gudas can go do what he does, but the Red Wings still walked away with six of six points and they got the two points against the Ducks and have done a lot of good work to undo a crummy December. I, they still have a, a, a tough road ahead, which we're going to talk about right now, but in terms of starting out the year in a way that undoes some of the hurt from last month, this is as good as you can hope for. Now their upcoming schedule, the Oilers, the Kings, and Toronto before next time we talk. And just as a heads up, next episode isn't going to be on Sunday. It's going to be on Monday night. Uh, we're just going to accommodate the Red Wings schedule a little bit in our own schedule. So they have the Oilers, LA, and Toronto before our next episode. That's not going to be easy. LA is not going to be happy about losing at home. Edmonton is on their uh, the latter phase of their annual it's Jover, we're so back cycle. And Toronto's Toronto. You never know which one you're going to get, but they're playing at home in Toronto. So... The, if the Red Wings can carry confidence into this, then that's great because they're going to need it. They, and they're going to need to be playing better than they did against San Jose, LA, and Anaheim. Well, they have no choice. We were looking at the standings before we recorded, and they're in a four-way tie for ninth place in the East right now. One point back of Tampa in eighth. I think two points back of the Islanders in the second wild card in Philly, who holds the third in the Metro. Obviously, they could fall out. And at this point in the season, it's not so much about accumulating points, which it obviously is, but it isn't. It's about outpacing four of those teams. That's, and 
these teams, they might have soft schedules. They might have hard schedules, but I can guarantee you four of these teams are not going into a tailspin. Yeah. And you have to outpace them because I know a lot of people were getting on us when we said 20, 25% to make the playoffs. There are only so many points out of the playoffs. We understand that. But there's so many teams in the running right now, good teams. Tampa and New Jersey are in this mix. And you have to outpace at least four of them. So you they cannot have any December-like stretches. Now, if they leave this schedule, like this month, a little bit short of the proposed like 630 or 650 mark in terms of points percentage that they need to play at, that's forgivable to me because of the strength of schedule. They can't play like that for too long, but... Scroll down. What's February look like? February, it's not quite January. They obviously have the all-star break, but then they come back against Vancouver, who is apparently a good team. And then, again, another road trip, Edmonton, Vancouver, Calgary, Seattle, then Colorado, St. Louis, Chicago, Washington, the Islanders. So it doesn't get a lot better. Until that last week of February, yeah, that is a gauntlet. Oh, my God. God. And they gotta win those last two games in February. Like they're gonna play Washington, who they're battling with for the last wild card spot, and the Islanders, who are also in the wild card uh, hunt right now, or I think hold one of the two spots. They do, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you got Jesus. For me, they can kind of do whatever they want with the Western Conference teams, but they have to beat the the Eastern Conference teams right now, especially the teams that are in the wild card race. It's it's exactly right. You you start to think of these games as four point swings, not just oh they got two points and we didn't. Like if that's an Eastern Conference rival, if that's a divisional rival, if that's a wild card rival, like that matters. So I don't want to say now starts the real test because I, I no matter what Detroit had to start off this month like they did for this conversation to even be happening, but now starts a real test. I'm not going to say they have to beat Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers. That is a very, very tough ask to say. The, any team in the league absolutely has to beat Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and the Edmonton Oilers. But Chicago almost did it last night. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, thank, two goals waved off, but it was a 2-1 <laughs> game in the end. Thank goodness for 15 minutes of time to zoom in. Oh, my God. I'm going to find the person in the Toronto control room who made the decision to keep the process going because they just needed to know and shake him by the shoulders and say, do you know what you did to me? Do you know what you've inspired Brad with? Like, this is so annoying. Anyways, we'll get into that. So that's Detroit, six to six points. At the time of listening, you probably know the result of at least the Edmonton game. But again, we can talk until the sun comes up about how things still need to be worked on and they need to be tougher when people go after Larkin and they need to stop giving up goals to start games. But they got six to six points. Just win, baby. I'm not going to complain too much. That's the motto of the week. It just win. Just. And then next week's motto. And the week after that. That's right. And the one following that one. That's right. Yeah, I was talking with Crystal yesterday. I think the last seven days might have been the best seven days I've had in sports in a long time. Hey, look. I can't believe you've, you've made it this long in the episode without bringing it up. Uh, there's, good, there's always Michigan State fans who like really get on us. I think all three of us in here are Michigan fans and that's that's tough for them. I want you to know we spent a lot of time last episode celebrating Trey Augustine, Michigan State goalie. He's going to be a problem for every team, including Michigan, who plays them. But Michigan winning the national championship is just, we have to bring that up, right? Oh, we have to. And 1997, do you know how long it's been? I didn't watch college football when I was 10. 
This is my first experience with this. Or when you were 25, which is how old you were in 1997. Also, yes. <laughs> Nick Saban retired today. The last, his last game was a loss to Jim Harbaugh. Oh, put it right into my veins. The fact that they beat Alabama along the way was, it needed to be, it needed to happen. Well, way. if they didn't, you know, oh, yeah. those SEC, not in the championship conversation, you know how they would have yes. went. Yep, yep, yep. A hundred percent. Even though that whole selection process, I was like, I feel so bad for FSU. But I'm for, yeah, for but after Michigan. What, but after what Georgia did to them, do you really? I know they, <laughs> That's a they whole didn't have thing. a full roster. I know. I it's, know. it's a whole no. different thing. Okay. Uh, back to Red Wings. The uh, Detroit Red Wings have some prospect news in Nate Danielson. A couple episodes ago, Evan and I mentioned to you that he could be traded as the WHL approached their trade deadline in the Western Hockey League. And for those of you who don't know, that's one of the three leagues under the Canadian Hockey League umbrella. The other two being the OHL and the QMJHL. But in the WHL, Nate Danielson was traded away from the Brandon Wheat Kings, where he's played with, uh, to the Portland Winterhawks. And it's not really uh, too big of a difference from a Red Wings perspective, but from a Nate Danielson evaluation perspective, this could actually be quite notable. Because what was Nate Danielson's questions and profile around him uh, involving offense when he was drafted? What is the actual offensive upside how significant was it and to the point of i would argue right now the answer has been not significant you know he didn't produce a ton of points in his draft year even though he was a late birthday third year in junior season and he's not been bad this year but he hasn't put up the counting stats like we would have all hoped he goes into red wings camp shows phenomenally Goes into Red Wings preseason, shows phenomenally. Was one of Canada's best forwards, albeit at a disappointing World Juniors. But again, the counting stats were never huge. And especially in Brandon, the question was, was that just a result of him being a bad, uh, a good player on a bad team? And nobody can ever answer that definitively. Well, now he's going to the highest scoring team in the WHL. I think they're, they're second. Medicine Hat has one more goal than them. One of the highest two more games played, yeah. So one of two things might happen. They might finally set them loose, or they might be, hey, we need to play some defense, and you're going to be that guy. But I think the more likely scenario is they're going to open it up for them. So I'm genuinely curious to see if we get that uptick in offense that we've been waiting for. I remember talking to Draper sometime after the draft, and he said, like, watch some of his games – Watch Nate Danielson play. There's a, quite a few opportunities that he'll set up game after game after game, and he just doesn't have the teammates that are going to finish it. And you go back and watch, and that was a, I think Max Boltman had done a really good job to talk about that even way before the draft. Like this guy might be on the radar with underrated offensive upside. You go back and, and do some viewings, and like, yeah, there's, there's some like hair pulling moments where his teammates just won't finish in wide open two on one. Hey, Evan, another thing we can re- relate to beer league. That's true. Yeah. I haven't got a tape-to-tape pass in like two years. You don't make them either, though. Uh, they're too hard. They go <laughs> they go under their stick because they don't work out. They, well, who am I, I was going to say. say. <laughs> I've played hockey my whole life, so like I know what I'm doing. It's But he's now going to be going to a team where, really, if you look at their offensive output, that shouldn't be the case anymore. Again, it depends on how they deploy him, what they ask of him. You know, Portland's one of the top teams in the league and they're going to want to to make a run of this thing and win the league and go to the Memorial Cup, but he's going to have better teammates around him and this is going to be a great test 
for us to see, is there more to his offensive game? It's not going to be definitive. You don't draw any hard forever conclusions from this, but it's certainly going to be a really strong look into that aspect of his game. I mean, they gave up an absolute haul for him, so they're they better be giving him a significant role. Otherwise, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, and I'm sure the the showing at the World Juniors also helped that quite a bit, right? Like on a Team Canada team that disappointed, to stand out in that regard is is probably going to be what motivated teams to give up the prototypical CHL. Here's every good player that we have in the future for your good player right now trade. So fun for Red Wings fans. I would say this is a really good result. We knew that Danielson might be moved and of all teams to go to, you know, not having watched a ton of Portland Winterhawks games, but just knowing that they score a lot, that's cool for Red Wings fans. So something fun to watch uh, other than the Detroit games. Uh, more news, uh, Jonathan Bergen and Simon Edmondson, uh, also all-stars, but for them in the AHL All-Star Classic, they were selected. So congratulations to those two. Uh, obviously well-deserved. Uh, and then it was also tweeted out today by Hockey News Hub, I believe it was, that Russian player Maxim Siplikov, thank you, Brad, for helping me with that pronunciation. Uh, apparently, Detroit has some interest in him. He is uh, out of the KHL, seems to be a big, hard-hitting, hits a lot, but shooting uh, winger mostly. So uh, maybe another or a slightly more offensively tuned clean Costin type. A few teams were listed as being interested in him. So, you know, this is just early on, but the... Uh, in terms of this is around the time of the year where you start to get interest in free agents overseas and free agents out of college. So we'll see. But Detroit's name has been attached to this one. And in terms of clean Costin, uh, Daniela Bruce reported today that he's practicing, which for all our, our griping about the Red Wings aren't tough enough, he's could potentially be back soon, which is good. Okay. I want to take a quick break to let you know that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by Labatt Blue Light. Created in 1983, this premium light Canadian Pilsner is a delicately balanced beer brewed with Cascade hops and a blend of malt. It's fresh, crisp, and brewed to the highest quality standards. There's a little bit of Canadian kindness in every sip of Labatt Blue Light. How did it get in there? They're Canadian. That's how. You can spread the love yourself by sharing a Labatt. So head to the link in the description of this episode or the one you see on your screen to find Labatt in stores near you today. You must be 21 or older, and as always, enjoy responsibly. Okay, welcome back. It is now time to talk about the current drama in the NHL. The news dropped recently, and it kind of, I saw the notification come through, and I did that thing where you rub your eyes. Uh, Cutter Gauthier, star prospect for the Philadelphia Flyers, was traded to the Anaheim Ducks for star young defenseman, or uh, supposed star young defenseman, Jamie Drysdale, in a 2025 second round pick that belonged to Anaheim. That was weird. And then you start to think about a few things, which is that Cutter Gauthier didn't attend development camp or camp this year for Philly. Uh, apparently it was something about playing a lot of hockey. There were some kind of rumors over the past while about they had just had a hard time really uh, reaching out to him or they asked Danny Briere and the GM would say something like, uh, we're working to find out why he didn't come, which is never a great sign, but you didn't really hear too much about it. So you kind of forgot about it. And then everything comes spilling out. And the gist of it is, is Cutter Gauthier, after being drafted by Philly, so he didn't say this to them in a pre-draft interview, told the Flyers that he did not want to play for them and he was not going to sign. He is a current NCAA player. He plays in the college system. 
And so he could play out his four years there and become a free agent and then Philly would be screwed. So Cutter Gauthier told them he wasn't interested in playing for the Flyers after all. And the Flyers spent some time trying to figure out why, uh, trying to remedy things with him. And eventually landed on, after I think they tried one more contact at the World Juniors, it didn't work out. Couldn't even meet with him. And then they decided, all right, you don't want to be a flyer, you're gone. And they traded him to Pat Verbeek and the Anaheim Ducks in exchange for Jamie Drysdale in a second. So I almost don't even know where to start with this one, but reactions to the trade on a hockey level, I, I should say, and who Gauthier and Drysdale are as players and why this is notable for that reason. I mean, on a hockey trade, I think they did about as well as they could given the circumstance. Usually when word gets out that a player wants out, look at the Alex DeBrinkett situation, you're never going to get a full maximum return on said player. And I don't think Philly did here. It's kind of tricky because he's still a prospect and Jamie Drysdale has had NHL reps and prospects, as we've talked about at length, don't always pan out to what they're hyped to be. But Gauthier is dominating the NCAA this year. He had a huge World Juniors. You know, there's a lot of indications that this kid's going to be legit. And a rumor was there were upwards of 20 teams that were interested. As they should be. Of course. I, it should have been 31 teams. I want to know what the hell the other 11 teams were doing. I would, I would honestly bet that it is closer to 31. It should be. And then they get a, you know... Drysdale's had a lot of injury troubles. He's been in the league not that long, but he's a good prospect. And a second round pick is not a nothing filler. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't love the trade for the Flyers, but I think given the circumstance, it's as good as they were going to do. That's a raw deal. And it's a raw deal for a few reasons. Uh, Elliot Friedman did some reporting. A lot of people did some really good reporting. And uh, he, he mentioned that several sources, according to several sources, whatever happened that caused him to not want to play with Philly predates May 11th when Keith Jones was hired and Daniel Briere was officially made GM. So this has been brewing for a long time. And the thing is, did Cutter Goche do anything, you know, illegal by, by terms of what players are allowed to do? No, he, he exercised rights that he has as a prospect, as a player, uh, going through the channels that he is in his development process, but he also still has not given Philly a reason why, or at least that's their story. And he's not presented anything to the contrary. He's not said the reason why there's something brought up within uh, some Philly media talking about, oh, it was Kevin Hayes, who obviously doesn't have a a good relationship with Philly anymore and and doesn't think too favorably uh, after he being dealt to St. Louis, but still that was denied ferociously by Kevin Hayes himself. And the follow-up from that was kind of nasty, but for one reason or another, Cutter Goche told them that he doesn't want to be there. He refused to change his mind, wouldn't even meet with them anymore. And he hasn't told them why. So like, if that's actually the case, that is a, a genuinely raw deal for the Flyers. I don't know what happened beforehand. This whole thing is just missing a lot of information, but to not disclose the why and to not even meet with them to, to, for one last conversation, I guess he already told them he, it's a hard no, that sucks. There's so much information here that has to be missing. If, you know, the previous regime of Philly did something that he didn't like and whatever, you would think a lot of the time, the fact that it was overhauled, like Briere comes in, Keith Jones comes in and it's like, hey, 
the guys who screwed you are gone. We're here now. What can we do for you? It's not even like those are bad guys either. Like I would say Keith Jones and Danny Briere, two of them are like, like beloved guys in the NHL. Yeah, they have very good reputations. I, I don't think this would be the reason you'd make a career-altering decision. I think the only carryover of significance there was Tortorella, and I could understand a young player not wanting to play for Tortorella, but if you're a star player, you're going to outlast that coach significantly nine out of ten times. Now, there was something, a hypothesis put forward by Elliot Friedman. So whatever happened predated May 11th, he told them uh, on May 28th or just after May 28th that he wasn't going to sign. But it may have been something to do when uh, Boston College's season ended in 2022-2023. The Flyers essentially played it very safe with their cap structure and with him in terms of signing. It was mentioned something about bonus overages. Like if they signed him, they'd have a bonus overage uh, to carry into next season, which they were wary about doing it. But also, I think more importantly than that would be burning a year of his ELC sooner because of the amount of games left in the season. It was something like 15. If Cutter Gochi played those 15 games and his ELC clock would start, they wouldn't be able to slide it a year. And that's advantageous for the player because you get paid sooner. There's some evidence that suggests it might actually be advantageous for the team as well, but that's a different argument. So when they told Cutter Gochi that they wouldn't be doing that immediately, and you know he had to come into camp and earn a spot for next season. He would obviously have the opportunity to do so. That may be, you know, something that pissed him off. Like that's, I'm not going to say that's sound, but that that's understandable if that's the way that goes. I'll say it's pretty notable because a lot of players get told that, and a lot of players have their contracts slid, and a lot of players don't really get in right when they want to. I mean, look no further than Detroit, and if sure it has to piss him off, but. Uh, that's that's the best hypothesis I've seen on all of this. But again, previous regime, wasn't that? That wasn't Briere. And that's the that's the part where they must feel like it's a raw deal because Briere is involved in the organization, but they're trying to remedy things. Uh, and, like, and from the sounds of it, wouldn't even talk to him. This is, like I said, there's something we're not getting here. There's, they, can, there's, they can go to the support group with Michael Anlauer. <laughs> yeah, jeez. <laughs> yes. The whole thing is just when I saw that come out, I was, I, I did the rub eyes. I read it twice. I was like, there's, is, is there another Goche in their, in their system that I don't know about? Like, what is going on? <laughs> do you do the thing I do where I click on the profile just to make sure it's not a fake account? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It It was crazy. And if that truly is the source of the discontent, that's I'm not going to tell someone how they should feel about something like that. Like it's it's their career and it's a life altering amount of money and it's a huge, huge step in someone's life. And, you know, all the more power to players like he is well with it. If that is truly it, he's well within his rights to say, nope, I'm good. I'm a college player. I'll just play on my ears. I'm I'm done with this organization. If, if that is all it took, whatever. People can debate the merits of that. but. It's it's truly a bizarre situation. I have to think that the, this is going to be a big catalyst for the NHL closing the the NCAA loophole where the players can play four years and then not sign. And I'm not saying it's like it's not good for these players to be exercising some control about where they go. The NHL is very restrictive in terms of prospects in that regard. But at the same time, like I don't know, man, that that sucks. You draft a player through no fault of your own, or at least it was someone else. 
did something that seems to be business as usual, unless something happened that we just don't know here that's actually... And that's like, got to be it, right? Like, people just don't make such or draw such hard lines. And if they do, that's a big character flaw in my mind. Well, it doesn't get... Pad for Beak's not an easy guy to deal with either. No. So that And that sucks for teams, and so I wouldn't be surprised if GMs and owners go to the league and be like, hey, we're we're not drafting players anymore who are going to be able to do this. you got to fix it. And the NCAA and the rise of American hockey, not that it was small before, but they're they're going to be level with Canadian hockey in terms of output of players soon enough, or at least in the systems. This is going to become a bigger and bigger issue. And if they have a disproportionate amount of control over where they go, like the, it's just not the, the way the NHL rolls. And I can see them. You know what we should do? Make the draft less of an important mechanism for teams. There's there are people who actually believe that. They they people believe, there's a whole abolish the draft crowd. I I could listen oh, to that no, conversation. No, no, no. You <laughs> have well, I, I, I already suffer with your your cap opinions. Oh, you suffered through it. I, I do. Yeah, I suffer on the other end too. Don't you worry. Spoken like a true one percenter. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's. I don't know. I I, I want to say both sides have some blame here, maybe. But with just without knowing the actual story, I just look at this and go, if Cutter Gochi doesn't want to come out and give the reason why publicly, that's his prerogative. But people are going to slam him, and I don't he necessarily. He is going to get. You think John Tavares going back to Long Island was bad? Oh, Philly fans do not forget, and they are going to. He's going to need security. Yeah, well, they, it's Philly going to be fans, insane. They threw snowballs at Santa Claus. They're gonna, <laughs> that, yeah. Now they're going to throw Santa Claus at Cutter Goche. <laughs> it's actually just going to be a hologram of Cutter Goche because they can't <laughs> actually get him into this into the oh city. Oh my god, that's rough, man. Like, and I I saw some people making fun of Philly fans for being upset. Screw that. If a oh. player decides, he, if unless something comes out where it's like. Uh, Philly actually screwed up real bad here. If a player says, I don't want to play for you to the point where I'm not signing a professional contract and I'm foregoing years of making pro dollars, screw him. If there was, yeah, and he's by all rights looking like he is going to be an excellent player in the NHL. And if the Red Wings are in the same position, I would boo that guy until I passed out. I would have a whole dedicated segment called Cutter Goche Sucks. Yes. Mind you, on the not uh, evaluating the Philly and Cutter Goche relationship side of this, I wish Detroit could have made that trade. I would have loved Cutter Goche on Detroit. Big character flaws, not an Iserman guy. Well, <laughs> you say that, and I'm like, ooh, maybe. But then he went to Pat Verbeek, like I, I know, said, I and know. they're they're best buddies. So, so what's the Red Wings equivalent? Edvinson in a second. That's basically where I landed. Yeah, and there's the conversation of can the Red Wings really afford to do that? And yes, 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 you can. Well, the. It comes down to, I think at this point, what do you prioritize? Defense or forwards? The Red Wings need help everywhere, so you could make a case for either, but that's pretty much what it would come down to. I don't even know if it's about what... Yeah, I guess it's about what you prioritize, but not in a way of like what's more important on the ice, but what would be more devastating if you lost uh, a defenseman? Like That's that's the, the tough part about it. I like. What do you think is a better deal, Drysdale in a second or Edvinson in a second for Philly? I like Edvinson better than Drysdale. So me too. Especially, I think a lot of people would look towards Jamie Drysdale's healthy. He, like he's only played ten games this year, so that's not a whole lot. So there's some question marks there. So I don't know. Yeah, I think it comes down to prioritization. Would I have done that trade? 
it really depends how much you like Cutter Goche and I. <laughs> Might I like some, them a lot. There, I, I like them a lot. There might be some GMs who are a little sour because uh, those circles run small. I don't know. I'd do it just because I like the chaos. Would you do it, Brad? I genuinely don't know. I, I, I'm 50-50 on it, which means you know it's probably a pretty good deal going both ways. Mm-hmm. So to me, it would be what's your flavor. Three months ago, I would have said take the forward full stop. Because the Red Wings forward prospect cupboard is awful. The defense isn't good either. So I don't know if they could afford to lose Edvinson either. I can't believe on this show I'm the one advocating to ship out the defenseman and bring in the star forward. I like Edvinson. This isn't a knock on Edvinson, but I loved Cutter Gochi at draft time. And his draft stock was one of those where it rose so fast where it just zoomed past where Detroit could possibly pick him. He would have been a great pick for Detroit in my mind. It's tough because, yeah, Detroit does need help on defense, and that would have sucked if Edvinson was a solution and then he goes away and then watching them play this year. But at the same time, how confident are you that Larkin Danielson can be the one-two center punch that you need? There's some degree of, of, of possibility there. Like I think there's a good chance Danielson could pan out in such a way where that becomes viable, and especially you add... You know, hopefully he progresses a little better and, and rebounds this year, but Casper in that mix. But you add Cutter Gochi in there, and that changes the game. Yeah, how confident am I in Larkin Danielson being a 1-2 uh, on a cup contender? Oh, I'm not. But I'm looking at this defense right now, and you go, you've got Wallman under contract for three more years, then who knows what happens. Hopefully they retain him. You got Sider, you got Sandine Pelica. Any other impact defenseman in this organization? You got a lot of okay depth pieces. I think there might be something for Johansson. I think there might be something for Linder, Booyam. There's, there's got none of them are impact defensemen. And even Sandin Pelica, as much as I think his defensive game is underappreciated, is not going to be an elite defender in the NHL. Like if they lose Edvinson, what does the future of that decor look like? We've really this- well this year's. I think. The per- preliminary draft rankings, it looks quite heavy to, on a defensive scale. So, yeah. I mean, you're really just throwing more dice at the uh, on the board. So, I don't know. Yeah, there's, again, I'm 50-50. I could be very easily swayed either way. Just right now, it's, you know, the evil you know versus the evil you don't. We know, we know what Edvinson is. He looks like a stud. I'm very comfortable with him in this organization. Go Chase probably got higher upside, but that's why the second round pick is there. Yeah, I could I could be talked either way. So Anaheim's, you know, depth down the middle, assuming these guys are all down the middle, which I don't think is how it's going to shake out, is Carlson, McTavish, Goche, in no particular order. Carlson, McTavish, Goche, Zegras. Well, that's a problem. They should trade one of them. And very quickly after, it came out that a lot of teams, or some teams, I should say, believe that Trevor Zegers might be on the block. The Red Wings should trade for him. <laughs> I didn't think that would be such a device. I didn't really think a lot about it. Like, I put it out more as a joke, but I didn't think that'd be such a divisive opinion in terms of how people feel. I see Trevor Zegers, and I see a guy whose value, is, I, I do think immediately he was overrated, like really early on. But I think his value is lower now than it probably will be if I had to guess over his whole career. He's incredibly talented. For those who have been listening to the show for a long time, like we have a soft spot for Trevor Zegers. Really loved him as a prospect. Incredibly talented. Brings a lot of skill to the lineup. Is he 
producing in such a way this season that, and even parts of the last season that inspires you to say he's going to be a superstar? No, but I do think he can, and I would bet will be a, a star player. I don't think you're going to fleece Pat Verbeek, but if there's any chance in the world where you can have Trevor Zegras for not too terrible of a return, I'd consider doing it. People are saying he doesn't play defense. That's absolutely correct. But to me, the same way when you added Patrick Kane, you're like, if he pans out and comes back from injury in a way that's not debilitating to his health, then that's a lot of offensive talent that you just added to the lineup. Yeah, the Red Wings are scoring a ton of goals now. That, that's wonderful. But you want to keep that going, right? That's on a shooting percentage bender. Everybody who's been paying attention knows the clip the Red Wings are scoring at right now is not sustainable. I want more high-end talent. And that's, again, I have no hypothetical return here. I'm not trying to overpay or sell the farm for Zegras. But if he was actually available, I'm for it. Oh, a thousand percent. The Patrick Kane experiment is should be the argument. Now, Trevor Zegras will never be as good as Patrick Kane at his prime. Could Trevor Zegers be as good as Patrick Kane is right now? I would argue, yeah, that's probably about what he's going to be. Isn't that crazy? Pat, Patrick <laughs> Kane's at like the tail end of his career coming off hip resurfacing surgery, and some young American player might just be at the same level as that Patrick Kane. Isn't that just like the craziest but shit ever? The crazy thing about that isn't that Trevor, like you're saying, he could get to that level. It's that if he gets to that level, everybody's happy with his development. Yeah. Yeah, and that the whole that's insane. Like if you can add a if his development doesn't go much further than where he's at right now and he's just a perennial 60 to 70 point guy, <laughs> amazing. But again, the the criticisms that were like you're not selling the farm for this, that is totally reasonable. I mean, it all was for naught because that night Trevor Zegers went into the boards awkward and left the game, and I don't think it's going to be a short-term injury, but we'll see. So that conversation is going to be muted for a little while. But Anaheim might make a choice here to to ship out a lot of that talented depth down the middle, which teams covet. They really covet and will overpay for to try to replace Drysdale and shore up some defensive talent. Although they do have quite a bit of defensive talent on their team that probably leapfrog Drysdale in their system in their mind. Yeah, it's possible. And number eleven is vacant in Detroit right now. This is this is why Philip Zadina died. I won't hear this Danny Cleary erasure. He can <laughs> never be replaced. He was. Let's one not of, forget he now he retired at with number seventy one in Detroit, and that oh, succession because of Alfie. And the, but that succession worked just fine. That's right. Round two. Yeah, we'll take that. That's not bad. The the, the replacements there aren't too bad. I'm not sure Zegras is going to replace the. The great Detroit Red Wing Daniel Alfredson, but hey, you, you got to try to fill the shoes. Also, you think about it, Zegras, is he Verbeek's type? Not necessarily. That's been a little public in terms of uh, Verbeek's not loved the way he's played. Verbeek didn't love his yapping last year. He was honestly kind of like how you feel about Brady Kachuk now. You watch him, you're like, dude, you're so annoying. But I don't get that Trevor Zegas vibe. Last it, year he was. I get. I, I can understand the Brady Kachuk one because he's very abrasive. But I don't know if I really get that from Zegas. No, I think of him more of like that annoying TikToker to like type, like annoying like Zoomer type vibe. But I don't get the Brady Kachuk yeah, vibe. Hold on, I'm I'm gonna argue this one because this one. How am I alone on get, everything get this podcast? Yeah, no, no. Oh my, was there a, Trevor, a text that I didn't miss? I've never got the vibe from Tre- Trevor Zegers that he's like a super whiny player out there. I remember picking the one clip uh, where he was barking at Reimer on the bench, and Reimer said something to him. He's like, "I'm 130 pounds," and then they that immediately, was funny. And then they immediately started joking about it. 
where I get angry is even if Trevor Zegers is, and this is going to turn into a whole different tangent, so I'll try and keep it quick. Trevor Zegers isn't a tough guy. Brady Kachuk's a fake tough guy. No, as Brady Kachuk okay, backs it up. He when his team's down five nothing in the third hey, period, he, he fills he, his pants. But he backs it up. Okay, Trevor Zegers last, and I, yeah, I think Trevor last Zegers year he had a problem where he would yap and then hide behind his guys. Yeah, yeah, that's probably fair. But he never pretended to be a tough guy. Brady Kachuk is this like ult- penultimate leader or ultimate leader viewed in the NHL. But he doesn't do any of this shit until his team's down 5 nothing in the third period. They're both annoying. Yes. We hate them both. They're different flavors of annoying. <laughs> yeah. Trevor Zegers is the understandable Gen Z level of annoying. Brady Kachuk is... Uh, That's the, a man with kids right there. Yeah. Yeah, I struggled to explain what I was trying to say, and Brad did it in a much more eloquent manner. That's one of the most horrifying things I've ever heard you say in this podcast. <laughs> And I, I don't, don't think I, I don't I don't relate to the younger generation at all. I and he said eloquent after I used the <laughs> phrase filling his pants. So like, <laughs> that's the bar we're working with right now. <laughs> I do think Trevor Zegers has toned down a lot, but part the point I was making is is Pat Verbeek didn't love a lot of that yapping from Zegers last year. And if Zegers isn't a Verbeek guy, he stands to reason he's not an Eiserman guy. Oh, yeah, I should have said that at the beginning. Will the Red Wings trade for Trevor Zegers? No chance. Should they? Absolutely. Will they? Good God, no. I cannot see Steve Eisenman trading for Trevor Zegers. Could you imagine? I, I could see a world, but it would be Eisenman going, don't love the like the, the defense or the antics, but I do love the fact that he puts up points. Someone has to score a Michigan goal for Detroit. I just want the Michigan to happen in Michigan. Yeah, they have no candidates on the roster to do it right now. Uh, I think Ole Mata's got it in his tool set. <laughs> oh, oh, I will. Ole has been doing work below the hash marks, man. I'm not, he, hey, he, he's act, he activates. It could happen. Bring okay, now out. I'm genuinely curious. Who's the most likely Red Wing to pull a Michi? Is it Patrick Kane? No, he's never even attempted it. I've never you, I, I would die. The, Blackhawks fans would die. They would. Uh, Patrick Kane, whoever does it, I'll buy their jersey. That's your new thing? That's my thing. Uh, uh, Red Wings admin, tell the players, please, there's a jersey sale here. And a, if you're a listener and you want to pledge to this as well, uh, respond on Twitter, YouTube, wherever you get this. We'll all buy the jersey if a player pulls off the Michigan. Please let the players know. I Like, it's a young player thing. Like, I don't think. Raymond's not really that kind of guy. I, I think he has it in him, but it's just not how he plays. My memory might be skewing me. I think there is one guy on the Red Wings roster that I remember attempting it at one point, but he didn't even get the puck up. I think Joe Valeno is a dark horse candidate to mm, do it. Yeah. Joey V pulls off the Michigan. Yeah, that's a good one. Give him eight years. <laughs> Give him an eight by two. If Wallman's ever below the goal line, yeah. he's the other one because he strikes me. He's got that Gen Z energy too. <laughs> Wallman's Walman's TikTok game. I said this in I think in a group chat. Walman's first team all NHL vibes. Oh yeah, yeah. thousand percent. You saw them dancing after the uh, the win against I think it was San Jose or LA. That's yeah. how I know I'm old. Yeah, like th- I, we'll put this on record now because vibes are the most important thing in a locker room. When Perron moves on at the end of the season, and we inevitably get the questions at the end of the year, who gets the A? It's Walman. I hope so. It, did, did it's Walman. You guys see that video? Texas Roadhouse? You can sponsor. It us. was a clip, and it was like. The day Ryan Getzlaff knew he needed to retire from the NHL, and it was like they were going out before the game, and 
Uh, Getzlaff was behind, I think, Zegris and we'll say Drysdale for the sake of the conversation. And they're like doing this like weird, like TikTok level type <laughs> dance. And, and <laughs> Ryan Getzlaff is right behind them and he just has the like slowest head shake, like <laughs> eyes closed, so disappointed and disgusted with what he's seeing. It's uh, Clint Eastwood <laughs> shaking his head like, what the hell? Yeah, he's like, I'm done. <laughs> this is it. Uh, we went on a tangent there. This episode's either your favorite or your least favorite. No in between. That's correct. For entertainment value, I'm just throwing it out there. Trevor Zegris and Dixie D'Amelio come in and hook up with Jake Wallman on some sort of, we'll call it viral video. Could you imagine saying that to someone <laughs> over the age of 40? i.e. a general it's manager me. or an owner. Of it's me. I'm saying it. Brad, I would give Steve you, Eisenman would look I would you give you $100 dead in the to eyes say that to Steve Eisenman. And <laughs> it, it would just be 10 minutes of silence until the uh, until you left the room. I think he might hit him. <laughs> Maybe. He would actually hit him. Oh god, this is this is a stupid episode. I changed my mind. It's easily the worst episode. Uh, more news across the NHL. Connor Bedard's uh, jaw fracture. He's had surgery. He's out six to eight weeks. Not great if you're Gary Bettman or the All-Star game. Brendan Smith, you might want to hire some security. I, I don't think the league's happy. Again, unfortunate result. The McDavid offside. I, I'm gonna, We're going to give it a couple minutes, Brad, and we're going to move on. And I'm going to... You know what? I don't even need to say anything. This... The... I, I tweeted about this because I happened to be watching the Hawks Oilers game last night. We had consensus. There were no dissenting opinions. Everybody is fed up with this. If the if the review with the equipment you have, and my side opinion is always we should be upgrading the equipment to make it so we can both get it right and do it fast. To be fair, the video quality they were showing on TV of the replays was actually good. They did listen to you on that. but And that's great. And if you can't in five minutes figure it out then you don't overturn what you it get is two on the minutes ice. you get two minutes you get 30 seconds the the point of let's examine what the point of the offside rule is it's to prevent cherry pickers that is why that was implemented if he's six inches offside it doesn't affect the play it does. if he's six millimeters offside it definitely doesn't it affect aff- the it play. affects it affects it if he's six, six inches offside. I, let's not not get not to the degree you think it would. It does. No, no it does. You're Brad, functionally it, wrong. No, Brad, it does. Leon Drysaddle shouldn't have got his skate sharpened mm. that day. He would have stayed onside. Yeah. The, Boy, see, this anyway. is this is what I don't like about Brad. He <laughs> takes a situation we can all agree on that he he takes it six inches over the line. Literally, you're wrong. Anyways, <laughs> thirty six. Like I understand. The NHL saw the Matt Duchesne offside and went, holy hell, that can never happen again. And So get better referees. I don't know what I, to tell them. Thank you. This was one play in the last 30 years, and that's what birthed this monstrosity of a program. You get 30 seconds. If it's not immediately obvious, it's fine. You know what? They should have no capability to zoom in. <laughs> what are you guys on today? Zoom out. Dude, if it's millimeter, if it's millimeters, I don't give a shit about the six inches. If it's millimeters, it doesn't affect the play. It doesn't. If you can't immediately tell, it didn't affect the play. The the song Zombie by the Cranberries, according to YouTube, the, the music video 
is five minutes and seven seconds long. I think they should play <laughs> Zombie for the crowd. The entire crowd sings Zombie. And if they have not announced it before the end of the song, they have to, whatever they're on, wherever they're at in their debate, the referee has to go and make an announcement. No, I'm with you. On, you're on the right track here, but I think you've got the wrong idea. Don't pick a song people might actually like. Pick a song they hate. <laughs> the Hamster Dance. You have to listen to that until you make up your mind. What's that one song called, Why Gotta Be So Rude? Oh, I can't stand that one. Yeah, any awful song, play it until, like, annoy them into making a decision. That one was that one was ridiculous. Like, it was almost it was like seven or eight minutes. Connor McDavid, the face of your league, was incredulous about it after, and he doesn't ever form an opinion he on got anything. Got a laugh out of me from it, which I yeah. never thought would happen in a million years. That was his first ever joke. It was. <laughs> Congratulations, Connor. <laughs> Just this this whole. Oh my a, a league that, that wants more offense. They millimeters to pull goals off the board. I will bet anything next GM meeting that's going to come up because Connor McDavid has that kind of pull in the NHL. A thousand percent. Yeah. A thousand percent. So, I was so happy when I saw McDavid bring it up because that's what this argument needed. Yeah. Uh, not just a player. A star player would have been good, but the star player going, what are we doing here? And it's tough. You know, I'm. I always think about the fan experience. Could you imagine sitting in an arena for ten minutes while the refs de- deliberate whether this is offside? I'd be losing my mind. If it was not a close game, I'd be. And it was late in the third. I'd be like, all right, I'm done. Well, even I'm Ray, leaving. Ray Ferraro today was tweeting about watching the players on the bench disassociate. <laughs> like Jesus. Yeah, I'd be taking my skates off. <laughs> Were you a uh, a full like top half off in the room between periods guy? No. Were you? No. I'd always, I get it for NHLers, like you play 82 games a year, maybe you have your stuff, but whenever I see them dress, there were guys who dress all the way down. Yeah, because it's hot as balls in those arenas. Yeah, but still, like those rooms are so well conditioned. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that whole thing, I was like, that's that's too much. And it sucked in the moment, but it's good that McDavid spoke up. Very, very happy about that. This could be one of those shitty situations that yields a positive result, and I'm hoping, I'm God, am I hoping. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to jump into overtime here on this crazy episode of the Winged Wheel podcast. Sorry or you're welcome, whichever you prefer. Uh, again, folks, uh, overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. If you want to support the Dub Dub Club and uh, join the show's uh, so, so appreciated support. Uh, you get benefits like access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord, which is a fantastic community. You're also entered in all of our giveaways. For example, this season, we're giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game, the vast majority going directly to our Patreon supporters. Additionally, you get access to our overtime bonus episodes, which record right after these main ones. We let loose. Have fun. Uh, somehow even more than this, and it's a good time. So again, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support and join the Dub Dub Club. All right, let's take some questions from our patrons. Glenn Brabham says, hey, lads, somehow Evan is made commissioner, and when Reed negotiating the CBA, he agrees to a soft cap where teams are allowed one contract to be exempt from the cap, and it can have any value. If you're Stevie, who are you targeting in free agency, and how much are you realistically offering? Cheers, boys. Uh, Man, this is not the summer where that would be very useful. This is a bad free agent crop. Whatever it would cost to bring in Elias Pettersson. But he's RFA. Yeah. But you could do the offer sheet, right? And he signs. My whole point of the designated player is to benefit teams who draft well. Yeah, that was the original idea that I remember getting proposed years ago. And then Evan refined it of reward the teams that draft well, 
you get an exemption on one of the players you drafted and developed, right? So Chicago, bad for however long, get Connor Bedard. Your reward, he doesn't count against your cap. You know, the Red Wings... If they choose, which would be suicide because I think a a guy like Connor Bedard would be like, if it's not me, I'm out. Yeah, and right now with Detroit, they could be going, most siders do for a pretty big raise. We don't want to lose him. We want him to be a Red Wing forever. Eight years, whatever you want, you're exempt. Do you give Elias Lindholm like a no four year? <laughs> no. no, no, a four year something. He won't take it, but no. Like, okay, if he's willing to take four years, a thousand percent, yes. Four year at a lot of money, who cares? Yeah, he's not going to though. He's going to get eight years. Stamco- this, Stamkos could be interesting if you're talking about like exempt. Yeah, I was going to say Stamkos is there. How long do you Because he wouldn't need as much. Or maybe he would. I don't know. This whole exempt thing changes the game because at that well, point. Well, it makes them untradeable too because if another team has a designated player, you can only have one. But why do you need to trade them if they're not on the cap, right? The well, worst exactly. that they hold is a roster well, spot. Well, I mean, Cutter Goche just got moved. So who the hell knows? <laughs> yeah, anymore? but then if Mitch Marner is up in like a year and you want him to be your exempt guy, hypothetically. Oh, man. You've already started to see the devil works hard, but Paul Marner works harder. You've, <laughs> you've already started to see Mitch Marner's dollar signs in the uh, in the discourse. Like that, that back channel negotiation is going to be nasty. If you thought Nylanders was annoying, wait for this Marner deal, man. I still want Marner on the Red Wings. They're going to cost you. Well, if you want another soft player on the Red Wings, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> hey, a two-way, 100-point yeah, soft yeah. player. Oh, yeah, yeah. I am I would be on board with it. Joseph Barry says, what do you guys do, Casper, for Zegras, one-for-one, one, or is that not enough value? Not even close to enough. I don't think they'd take that. I do think Verbeek would like Casper the player, but I don't think it'd be enough value. No, I don't. With the season Casper's having, I don't think it's particularly close either. I think it's a good starting point, but you're adding from there significantly. Clint Banesh says on the Tuesday edition of the Athletic Show, uh, Ian and Julian were discussing the Gauthier trade and him not wanting to play in the town where he was drafted. Something they brought up was an interesting idea. I hope you're sitting. Oh. Uh, they talked about what it would look like if the NHL draft was no more. I knew this was coming. Instead, implementing a signing day similar to what they do in NCAA sports. What are your thoughts on this signing day idea? Or what are other thoughts you have to prevent players from refusing to stay with teams that drafted them? Go Ball, Jay Fox, et cetera. Get rid of the salary cap at that point. Uh, my Bo- God. Both, both terrible ideas. Is it Christmas in January? Oh, my God. There would have to be a cap on this somehow. Just to prevent the Leafs and the Canadians and the Rangers from just hoarding everybody and stashing them in the AHL for so long. You know, because what inevitably would happen and the way this system would hopefully work, there'd be a lot of pain to make it work, is the first time, you know, a team throws $10 million at a first overall pick and it happens to be Nail Yakupov, right? And then they're stuck with that for eight years. That organization is nuked and i think the nhl would do everything in their power to avoid that god creatives says hey guys my first question for the pod what can one expect from winged wheel podcast now the griffins i just locked up my ticks for my first trip to michigan for that griffins game and the following wings versus sends game hopefully we sweep that org so the griffins we actually just uh chatted with them the other day they are going to be sending out uh, an email to you soon with all of the information on where to be, when to be there at Van Andel Arena, what kind of uh, 
information you need to pick up your special edition hat, where to go for the pregame live recording, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there will also hopefully be information coming soon regarding an after event, uh, after party in Grand Rapids. So once that's all locked up, we'll release that information to you as well. But you'll, you should be getting an email in your box for whoever the ticket buyer was uh, from the Grand Rapids Griffins. So keep an eye out. Clip Cop Nene says, who has your favorite Selly on the current team? Also favorite all time Selly. Keep up the great work, boys. It's Wallman currently. Pick anyone. Wallman's current. Yeah. Wallman. He's the only one who has like any appreciable amount of fun with it. So he gets my vote. All time's trickier though. Trying to remember some like individual ones that were. Timu's shooting the glove. Oh, are we going outside of Red Wings here? Yeah. You guys aren't going to do the nail Yakupov one? (laughs) (laughs) He scored like a game tying goal and like slid halfway across the ice on his knees. Halfway? He almost made, went the full length of the Double fist pumping? (laughs) He burned a hole through those socks. Oh. Oh, man, there's so many good candidates here. I loved Alex Ovechkin's uh, stick on fire just because of how much it pissed people off. <laughs> that was great. That, that might be the moment that ended Don Cherry's career. At least Who started. did push-ups? <laughs> is that Sean Avery? That was Sean Avery. Yeah. Uh, who is it who bench presses the net right now? Is that Askarov? Yes. He's he's done that. I think after a win, he did yeah. that. That's funny. I love goalie celebrations. I don't remember the players. But I remember watching this on a Rock'em Sock'em video clear as day where, and I don't think it was any big name players, they scored. And then when they met in the, he met his teammate in the corner, they did a sword fight with their sticks. That's funny. Remember when uh, Artem and Nisimov did the like sniper celebration and everybody got <laughs> pissed off? Yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. That was what pissed people off. The only time, and I don't really think it's it's like uh, so much a piss off the the analyst, but anytime a guy does a sniper, like the bow and arrow at the opposing team's bench, it's like, all right, oh. well, now I'm going to sucker you next shift, right? Oh like, my God. Remember when Have Eric- you ever done that? Uh, the bow and arrow? No. I can't imagine Evan selling after a goal. No. You don't sell it? No. Hmm. <laughs> Why did I ask no. you that? I've seen you express emotion like <laughs> twice and it was both yeah. with my dog. Yeah, that's true. Remember when Eric Cole high-fived the ref? Austin Matthews Goal point. You know what? That's good. Unironically, that might be my favorite of all time just because of the circumstances that led to it. Like the whole story behind it was like he was absolutely right in showing up the ref like that. Patrick Kane's got a lot of good ones too, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, his against Detroit a lot of times, but his were iconic. He inspired a whole generation of uh, like showboating celebration yeah you see the american players who looked up to patrick kane and you can see a lot of his celebration like the the kind of like the glove like the the bat forward with the glove like that kind of came through in the next generation anyhow uh moving on here uh the mex canadian says i know it's been beaten to death at this point but how about the continued fall of the sends they just seem to be playing like none of the team cares in the slightest. Brad's grinning. Leaves me to wonder how much longer until Brady takes a page from his brother's book and, and leaves. Sounds like something he would do. Uh, I don't. The sends are weird to me. And it's just, I don't think they had the roster they thought they did. But I do think they have a better roster than what their standings portrays. But that team has a deep, we've mentioned it before, they have a deep rot that holds over from the Eugene Melnick era. And if you want to know why that stuff matters and why everyone was up in arms for that entire time is this is the effect you need. And I'm going to sound like every hockey old head ever, 
but you need a good culture in your room if you want to win games consistently in the NHL. Having good players is not enough. It's hard to do, but you need to have a winning culture, and that's not just systems on the ice and, and guys being nice to each other or hard on each other at the right time in the room. It's from top to bottom, and everything you've heard coming out of Ottawa, it's a very chatty organization, uh, so you hear a lot coming out of Ottawa. It's not good. They It's going to take Ann Lauer and Steos a lot of time to undo a lot of that bad that, that was instilled over a long, long time with Eugene Melnick. I think the rise, the perceived rise of the Ottawa Senators was maybe premature. Oh, yeah. I think Ottawa's doing a lot right from the top down now. And I do think, like, I stand by it, I think they do have a deeply skilled team they're very young, and there's clearly a lot of cultural issues within the organization, but that's going to take a long time to sort of get its, itself sorted out. All right, one last one here. Frank the Tank says, so Ottawa gives up a haul for Debrinket, then a year later trades him for half of what they gave up. Then they turn around and give up a haul for Chikrin and may now trade him a year later. My question is, what is wrong with that team and how bad will uh, will they become of this? So. We answered the question just now, but what about Chikrin being possibly on the market? That has Toronto written all over it. Yeah. But I don't... How? I, how do they do anything? How do they sign Nylander? Okay, uh, this is a bigger discussion, but how do they sign Nylander and capitulate on price, on bonus structure, on no move clause the entire way through? What did what did they get back from him? And I'm a big Nylander guy. I think he should have grinded eight them. Eight years of William Nylander. Yeah, so they, they get back. They got a near 100-point season out of him. And they're betting on a few more. They are fried for the Marner negotiation. Fried. They, Tavares, Tavares expires the same year, though. Yeah. Tavares has to take a big cut, which I think would be coming. And I think they're going to basically frame it where it's like, hey, you've already made your money. We need you to take a, a cut if you really want to be the captain to bring a cup back to Toronto. And then and then what are they, net neutral as to where they are now? Sure. I mean, if you told me you could have Nylander, Tavares, Marner, and Matthews for the next eight years or whatever, or five years with Marner or uh, Matthews, I would take that. I would roll the dice with those players. Anyway, so how would they do Chikrin? How do they do anything? Who knows? Yeah, it's all fake anyway. Who's oh. going on LTIR? But Chikrin, if Chikrin's actually on the market, then that would be, for the second time, massive. Would he get the same return at this point? Should they have just drafted him? Ma- would it have Ma- been easier at this point? <laughs> Imagine if they trade for Debrinket and then have to get rid of him after a year for a smaller return, and then the exact same thing happens with Chikrin. That'd be that'd be so Ottawa. That would be very Ottawa. There's also like I don't know GMs come in. And I know this episode. Do I need to run into Dorian again, even though he's not there? What's Steve Steos doing right now? Can I run into him? Yeah, yeah. Actually, run into Steve. You're like the uh, top prospects games coming up. The blitz for GMs. Well, they they probably talk about you in the group chat. Like, oh, we. Saw, I'm sh- I'm a hundred percent sure they do. We saw that tall weirdo again. Did any <laughs> of you touch him? Dorian's like I did. They're like, oh, he, he's the chupacabra of NHL GMs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> But when GMs come in, there's a lot of sometimes obvious, sometimes subtle work to to undo a lot of what previous GMs have done. Most of the time you see that with draft picks. Like if they don't really love the way they drafted, then those players slowly get filtered out. It happened with Eisenman over time for virtually all or most of Detroit's picks. But trades and players that those uh, GMs signed 
counts as well. So, I mean, Chikrin's not the same as when Eisman bought out Applicator. I just want to state that very plainly. But if they feel that they would do better to to get a big return from him, I wouldn't be surprised. Also, Steos, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure if we talked about this, but he did the Kyle Dubas GM search. <laughs> All I can think of in these situations is, you know that meme of Obama putting the medal on Obama? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what this is. Congratulations. <laughs> Anyways. This has been uh, some kind of ride of an episode. So thank you all uh, for tuning in. Again, next episode isn't coming until Monday, so the night after the Leafs game. So three games between now and then. Uh, Apologies for the change in schedule. Blame the NHL. Uh, Thank you all so very much for tuning in. Thank you to Labatt Blue Light for sponsoring this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, To all of our listeners, new and old, uh, we can't say how much we appreciate you. And to all of our patrons, you're the ones who make all of this happen. Our name-level supporters on Patreon, thank you. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation. Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland. Glenn Brabham, Croner's Left Knee. Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels. Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. at the Cheesebag Navy. Brad Shin Extension Baggins, Carl Brutanen Aluski, Carl Provi, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Craig Kibble, Curtis Snyder, new name level sponsor. Welcome, Curtis, to the Dub Dub Club. Daddy Bettman Bucks, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek and Stam, DJ Denton, Eric Shun, GOD Creatives, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kaylin Wood, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K, Cannon Fodder, The Cheesebag Army. Matt McKay, Michael Edland, R.A., Red Feather Desert Dogs, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, Sprong 88 Best, That's What I Appreciates About You, The Department of Player Safety Delusion, Wallman's Elite Dancing D, Iser Plan Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, A.B., Adam Rose, Axel Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buffchest, The Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Layton, Corey Prita, Darren Fick, D-Boss Snip Show, Derek James, Dungeon Master of Puppets, Derek James, new name level sponsor, welcome. Gene Sullivan, Frank Stanley, Griffey Boy, Hot Hamwater, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Les Grossman's Ungodly Firestorm, Linda Hall, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Official Trey Augustine Stan account, Ophelia, Steven, the Hodag, the Mexinadian, the Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, ex formerly AA Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. We'll talk to you Monday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.